What does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go beyond the scripts. Hey, I'm Will Tuft, and you're watching Beyond the Scripts. And this week, we want to talk about uh, some of the overarching themes that you hear in pharmacy when you go to different trade shows, when you talk to pharmacies. Uh, there is a lot of negative feelings out there about the challenges that independent pharmacy is facing right now. In fact, there's an article that I found on drugtopics.com that said that around 58% of independent pharmacies say that they are somewhat likely or very likely to close their doors in the next two years if things don't improve. Uh, and this had uh, a lot of really negative statistics in there. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely a lot of room for focusing on the negatives. But at the same time, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And you can also find pharmacists that are finding those opportunities who are opening new doors while we keep hearing only about the doors that are closing. But every day, pharmacy schools have new enrollments and new graduates. And every day at Pioneer Rx, we see new stores coming through. Uh, the sales process. So there's a lot of opportunity out there. So how can you go about finding that opportunity? Not only if you're looking at opening a new store, but maybe if you have a store, what can you think about in a little bit different way? So today we have a really special guest here, Joe Williams, out there in North Carolina. And Joe definitely has a little bit different approach to business in general, uh, and specifically uh, with his pharmacy. So Joe, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, Will. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I told Brandon, uh, our editor here, this may be the the, the first beyond the scripts we have to go back and censor. So I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna go ahead and prep everybody for, for Joe. <laughs> I told you I'd be good. <laughs> So, Joe, um, for anybody that doesn't know you out there, and I feel like that's going to be relatively few, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's focus first on uh, one pharmacy at a time here. Tell me a little bit about Fairmont. Or, uh, no, let's let's go back to Brisson. Okay. Yeah, we can start at Brisson. Brisson is uh, kind of near and dear because it was the first store that I bought uh, back in 2015. It was a, um, a, a small, low-volume store. Uh, to be honest, I didn't even know where it was when someone mentioned it to me, and it's only 15, 20 minutes from my home. Uh, and it was really the perfect place for me to go when I first got started. Uh, traditional setting, you know, large front end, no additional services or anything. It was just your standard dispensing pharmacy. And so it was really a blank slate that had cash flow. It was, it was well managed the way that it was. It just wasn't high volume. And that was where the previous owner was happy. He had wised up as he likes to tell me sometimes, and he knew how hard he had to work and, and he was good, you know, and he had lived through periods where margins were much higher across the boards for pharmacies without having to have a niche or, you know, any kind of specialty. And so bought it in uh, January, 2015, and the first six months, I really didn't do anything different. I just was trying to figure things out, get my feet under me. You know, my first time being all by myself running a store. And about six months in, 
I said, okay, it's time. You know, now we're going to put Joe's spin on things. We're going to start doing things a little bit different. And from there, it, there's really no looking back. The store grew um, year over year. It was doubling, um, actually more than doubling. And now the store is doing more than 10 times what it was doing when we bought it. And it still continues to grow. Even through COVID, the store has still grown both in patience and in revenue. Uh, it's, uh, it's just a special place. It's, uh, it's, like, it's like my second home. That location's been there almost 100 years. Uh, uh, it's been there more than 100 years, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, and, and the population hasn't grown exponentially since you've taken over. Um, so what has changed? So, so you, you bring up a great point because that's, I actually recognized that early on too. I said, you know, we're, we're not in, I'm not in the suburbs of Dallas where they're going to, or, you know, some other city that's going to continue to grow and all these new people are going to be coming in, young families and what have you. I am in a rural town that used to be based on industry and agriculture, and those are not thriving like they once were. So, <clears throat> but what is there and what does continue to grow is the need, the needs of the underserved. And what we found was, is that, you know, they can't, they weren't always going to be able to come to us, but we could go to them. So this really special thing happened. I was at a trade show and there was a raffle and I threw my name in the hat and I want a car. And it was like something from above. God from above says, here's this car. You go to them. And when the car is free, you don't really care so much about the price of delivery or the cost of delivery because, you know, it's it's already taken care of. And. So we started doing some local deliveries, you know, just kind of ones and twosies at a time. And then we had this um, this one particular patient who uh, he had had a, a major medical event and he needed compliance packaging. Right. He he uh, he couldn't he couldn't he couldn't recognize words on a bottle anymore. But at the same time, he was adamant that he was going to be an independent person still. And so we had to figure out a solution. So we went into multi-dose blister for one patient. Mm. And with, within three months, the need, we, we started recognizing the need amongst uh, you know, other patients within our existing patient population. And we were ramping up really, really quickly. And then some local care management companies and hospital systems and primary care offices started hearing about what we were doing. And we were doing all of these things for free because we are in an underserved area and we had the car so we could take it all to them. And the next thing you know, we've got more than 400 patients in compliance packaging and we're buying a rapid pack to keep up with it because we can't, we can no longer find enough places to pack compliance packaging. And we own ramp you know, five and six people a week still into the program. It just is one of those things where it just never, ever stopped. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's been one of the most rewarding things that we've ever done because when you, when you go into, we, and we, you know, we go to these people's houses, you know, and, and help them and figure out what they need. I mean, we've even had, um, we even had a paramedic on staff that was, had this special sort of certification in as a community paramedic. We were doing fire inspections. We were, you know, cutting limbs out of trees of houses so that the local transportation company could go pick them up. 
So it, it, this is a quick story, and, I, and I'm, I'm long-winded, but, I'm, but forgive me. <laughs> we, we, we go to this house, and we had this patient that kept getting readmitted to the hospital. So the hospital's like, you guys have got to help us figure out what the problem is. You know, they want to blame it on this, and they want to blame it on that. The guy, the guy just refused to go to dialysis, they said, and then he waited until he was, you know, at his, he was going to die the next day, and then he would call an ambulance and go be diuresed in the hospital. So we go to the house, and the guy is an amputee. So, we, you know, it was like, what's the deal? Why don't you go to, um, why don't you go to Alice's? Well, I don't have a way. Well, why don't you call the local area, you know, transportation is called seats. He says, I did. They won't come out here. Why won't they come out here? Because of that big limb at the end of my um, long driveway. Oh, okay. We'll be back in 30 minutes. We come back with a ladder and a chainsaw, <laughs> cut the limb out of the tree, call seats, and the guy didn't go back to the hospital. It's like people, you know. The guy didn't need a, ma- a major medical intervention. He needed somebody that knew how to cut a limb out of a tree to change his entire world. And the hospital system is raving about it because now they're not going to be penalized for all the things that he was causing. So it's but, it's but unless until you meet that patient where they're at, you know, and and you're you have boots on the ground to identify those social determinants of health, those challenges right. that that patient is is facing. I mean, that's it, it seems like a no brainer. It's and in a small community, it seems like maybe you have the advantage of being able to pull up and hey, Joe's here with the chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what we did. You know, I mean, we we've, we've helped people move. We we had a COPD patient, same thing. Kept getting re- kept getting readmitted, admitted, admitted. Go to his house. And he lived in um, an older home and the walls were plastered with mold and mildew. And it's like, you know, shortness of breath, you know, uh, having some trouble breathing. Well, maybe this has something to do with it. So we go down to the local um, apartment complex and get his name on the list, take pictures, explain the situation. You know, had somebody from even the local um, hospital system reach out to the apartment, got the guy moved up the list, moved him over. Problem solved. You know, it's. I'm a pharmacist, so I, I want to. I want meds to be a part of the solution. But half the time, the solution is just going out and being a human being and figuring out what's really going on with these people and going the extra mile to solve the problems. And we don't we don't make any money when, when we do these things. But what we did do was we created lasting relationships with that patient, his family, the apartment manager, the hospital system that saw what we did. And then there's where the referrals come. That's the feedback loop that keeps helping the business grow. That's the pharmacy that does those kinds of things. So then the apartment manager is telling everybody in the apartment complex that they should come to our pharmacy because we're going to do what we got to do to help them. The hospital system is going to have high risk discharges that are going to call us and say, we want you to make sure that you're taking care of these patients. So, you know, the the here and the now, you, the, the benefit might not be there, but in the long run, it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. So when you're doing these things, are you focusing on bullet points like you hear when when you go to trade shows, you hear the enhanced services, you hear the buzzwords like functional medicine, like social determinants of health, um, like turning your delivery drivers into um, health coaches, community health workers. Right. Um, you know, so all of that really just kind of seems to fall under the umbrella of just listening and connecting and service. So when I'm proposing something to an entity, I use the buzzwords. But when I'm talking to my staff and I'm talking to the patients, go out there and treat them like it's your grandmother. Just go out there and be good to them, love on them, do whatever you got to do to look after them. Let me know if I can fill in any gaps and everybody's going to be better off. But when you present or I'm speaking to a, you know a group of professionals, I have to use the buzzwords. But when it's you know, me and patient XYZ down the road. I mean, he's just my neighbor that I need to look after. 
So in a, in a small town, um, Joe Williams is just as likely to be seen with a chainsaw, a more likely an, probably <laughs> an ice cream an ice cream scoop, yeah, or yeah, yeah. or a uh, or uh, an amber vial, uh, you know, <laughs> if you're one of your patients, and that's that's a really, uh, you know, that's a lot of hats to wear as well, a as a community pharmacist. But I feel like that's really what it takes in a small, uh, well, in any community. I, t- I tell everybody that I'm just a blue collar good old boy that happens to have all these degrees behind my name and has been lucky enough to fall where I fail. Because half the things that I do every day are things that my granddad taught me, you know, just be good to the neighbor and take care of them and fix their problems, you know, and everything else just keeps working itself out. So it, it definitely seems like you have um, a little bit different point of view uh, than than some of the other owners of, of the pharmacy you were in even. Uh, so do you think that that comes from your educational background? Because you didn't start out as a pharmacist. You are uh, more business-minded first, right? Right, I am. So I was going to be a game warden. That's that's where I was headed, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then that just didn't seem to work out and because it, it didn't make sense when I started looking at the numbers. And so uh, I decided to go uh, get a degree in business. And then um, I graduated and was recruited by Walgreens. So the big box and into a management training program, I worked my way up the ladder, you know, really quick, became a store manager and was working 80 hours a week, uh, killing myself for them. I am, I am, I do enjoy work. I find it very, very rewarding. And so I was doing everything I could for them to help them and, you know, grow, 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 grow. And then at the, as, as, as things continue to evolve, you realize that they don't really have your best interest in mind. You know, that they're, it's a corporate structure. It's different. Give, give, give. But there's not always that reciprocation. And so I was fortunate enough to have two pharmacists come in just off the street that needed a, um, a job. And, and they were, you know, hoping to get on board with Walgreens. And one of them had been a high school math teacher or a chemistry teacher, no, yeah, chemistry teacher. And I was like, you know, how did you end up here? And she's she's telling me the story. And I said, well, I can do that. And literally within 30 days, I had gone to the local university to find out exactly what I needed to do to become a pharmacist. I, what do you want to see to accept me? On the, and, you know, whenever I can, you know, however soon I can apply. I'd done that. I'd gone and I'd mapped out the entire curriculum that I needed to complete over the course of one year. I had to do two two years of prerequisites in one year, put in my notice, worked it out, did the whole thing and just hammered away. And then when I went into pharmacy school, I was uh, lucky enough to go to a school that had a joint MBA program. And I've all business is just it's this easier, natural thing for me. I just enjoy it. I, I like it. It makes sense. I can connect the dots. So, you know, I was, I picked up the MBA at the same time. And then I told myself I would own a store in three years. And uh, it ended up taking me three and a half because I had to buy a foreclosed house and remodel it at night so that I could then flip it to get enough money because banks don't understand pharmacy, as all of you watching know. And uh, so you just you do whatever you got to do to get where you want to be, you know, and that's that's kind of what I did. And it's, it's worked out. OK, so you got into Brisson drug, um, mm-hmm. kind of doing your thing, growing your patient base. At what point did you see the opportunity for additional services and bring in Matthew? OK, so from the start, uh, Matthew was actually supposed to be in the store almost two years before he came in. 
And we just kept having hiccup after hiccup and hold up after hold up um, just because of the uh, the entity that we have that brought in Matthew. Matthew's a nurse practitioner uh, here in the store. We have a, a walk-in clinic. And it just it just took a long time to put all of the pieces together on their end. Um, adding the clinic has been a big game changer because now the pharmacy feels more like a health hub. It's uh-huh. a place where they can go and get really anything that they need. I mean, we've been doing a lot of COVID testing in the back. So we're getting patients that are walking through does kind of, you know, worry some of the staff, but we got the shields up and everything, but um, it's just, people are finding out about our pharmacy that I told you, I didn't even know where the store was when I bought it. And so there's people that live, you know, within 10 or 15 miles that didn't know the store was here that are finding it because of the clinic and they're continuing to come in. Many of them are staying uh, based on the layout. They have to pass through the pharmacy to get to the clinic, uh, which allows us to make our soft introductions and how are you? And when we recognize them the second time in, which keeps them coming back and then they transfer. It's just, it's, it's really worked out well. Um, they, the, they've been a really, really great strategic partner to have the clinic in the pharmacy. Yeah. So how, how did that come about? Did, did you reach out to them? Um, like how, how, how does that work with, uh, the services offered there, what kind of agreements were you able to, to work so, out? So the, the way that it's structured, well, first off, a gentleman walked into my store on a Saturday morning and said, how you doing? I said, great. He says, good. I want to put a clinic in your pharmacy. I said, come on, you know, <laughs> come on. Because to be honest with you, there was the, it's an old downtown building. So it's really, really long and it's fairly wide. And only about... 50, 55% of the store was um, built out. So there was this warehouse space in the back that had everything in it. I mean, everything. Um, and so it was just empty with just junk. And uh, so he's like, I want to you know, put it in. What do you think we could do? What do you think we could do? And I was like, well, come on back here. Let me show you something. And I just went back and opened the, the big doors and there's all this stuff. There was a piano. There was a tanning bed. The previous <laughs> owner, the previous owner, when, when I walked in that, that morning of uh, January the 2nd, um, 2015, when I, he had not prepared for me to come. He literally stood up out of his chair and said, peace and walked out and didn't take anything <laughs> with him. So there was so much stuff back there. It was insane. And, um, and so when they, when they came in to look at the clinic, I had just bought a diner. I, there was a, a, it was actually in a pharmacy that's about 30 minutes from here. They had the entire lunch counter diner. I bought the whole thing and I would go up there um, after work and on weekends and slowly dismantle and, and bring everything in. All I wanted was they had a fountain. Uh, an old school fountain, soda fountain. And I really, really wanted that fountain. And the only way that I could get it is if I bought the entire <laughs> diner. So I bought the whole diner and I would take, you know, like uh, some of my employees up with me in the afternoons and we would work and, you know, take care of all this stuff and take it apart and bring it back. We had crammed it all back there in the back. And then I had another friend that was building the the fountain counter. Like if you go into some of these beautiful old stores that I've been lucky enough to go into while consulting, you know, it's this big, um, tall um, fixture with the mirrors and the all the di- and you know the intricacies of the woodworking, and it's just beautiful. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I had envisioned because that I've got those kinds of places have a really special place in my heart, you know. And I wanted something like that. And so I've got the equipment in the back. The contractor the same week is sending me the rendering of that cabinetry 
you know, and I've got this whole thing figured out. We're moving, we're just, you know, getting the plumbing figured out for everything. And he says, Hey, we want to put this clinic. So I call my contractor buddy. I'm like, all right, just nix the cabinetry for right now. I got to, got to go down this road. And they're like, when we want it up now, you know, took two years to, to get it up. But, but here's, here's the way that I had, I was already doing hand dipped ice cream. Right. And we weren't making, we weren't making money off the ice cream. It was, it was more or less a, a, a way to get people inside the store. I mean, I gave away a hundred times more ice cream than I ever sold. And I ate so much. If you look at pictures of me back <laughs> from then, oh man, this chin was like twice what the size it is right now. But, but so I, the clinic, the clinic probably saved me from an early heart attack and from being, you know, a hundred pounds heavier than I am right now. But when I got to thinking about it, I was going to, I was going to, I'd already bought this fountain and I still have the fountain. I'm not getting rid of it. I sold everything else, but I kept the fountain and the stools. If I have a fountain in my house one day, everybody can come over and we'll eat ice cream and have fun. <laughs> but, but, uh, the cabinetry was, was very expensive because the, 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 how detail oriented I wanted it to, you know, how detailed I wanted it to be. But if I, th- I got to thinking about it and counting it up, you know, I was going to have to pay somebody to go up and, and run this essentially because it was not going to be inside the pharmacy the way we'd laid it out. Um, I was going to have all those food costs and there's a ton of waste in that. And then my floors were always going to be sticky. They yeah. were because the kids with the ice cream, I mean, those floors <coughs> were always, always sticky. So they even though it took them two years, they they really pulled me out of something, a mistake that I was about to make, you know, for my store, because. Again, I've gone to these stores that are successful with this and they can put a six dollar price point on a milkshake and there will be a line out the door. Mm-hmm. My milkshakes were going to have to be a dollar to a dollar and fifty cent just to get people inside just because of the demographic that I primarily serve. So I knew that it was not going to be a revenue, you know, a, a big um, profit maker for me. It was just going to be a draw. And there's only a limited number of people that are within a, um, a, a distance they'd be willing to drive to go get a, a fancy milkshake or something like that. So they they really they really did me a favor. All right. So you at this point you have uh, Briston Drug. You've you've expanded into offering other healthcare services, other enhanced right. services, some uh, just community connections, and um, things are going well. And you say, hey, maybe I should make things harder for, for a little while <laughs> and start a whole new ball of wax. Yeah. Uh, sure. So, so you acquire or open a second pharmacy? I buy clinic pharmacy. All right. Okay. Um, so clinic came on, clinic came on January, 2018. I, I, I told myself that I needed about two to three years to kind of get things figured up. And I, I didn't have any money um, when I uh, graduated. And then when I bought Brisson, that took all of the money that I had saved so I needed to kind of get myself back up, you know, in a financial position that I was comfortable. I like buffers. And so I, I bought I bought clinic and uh, we closed January 2nd, 2018, three years to the day after Brisson um, had uh, I bought it. And that store, that store was a little jewel. It, it was about 70 years old when I bought it already. I like older stores, obviously. And it had cash flow already had positive cash flow. Uh, it had a great customer base that was extremely loyal to the store, a good reputation in town. The, the, the family that had previously owned it, they were wonderful people, um, very, very well respected and well known in the community. And I was lucky enough that the, the granddad had started it. And then the son who was a pharmacist took over. And now his daughter 
who is, you know, one of the best technicians you've ever met was working there and had worked there for some time and she was going to stay. So I was going to continue that family, family legacy component as well. And that way you wouldn't lose those customers. I was, that was part of the agreement that I had. I was like, you know, I, I want her to stay and, you know, and I even said, and she, we joke about this, that I wanted her to stay initially because I thought that I might be inheriting some issues there that daddy, my dad didn't run the store that way, blah, blah, blah. You know, we've all seen those kinds of situations where sure. those transitions can get sticky. It's the exact opposite. Um, she adapted to our model cause we do things exactly the same way and both stores, all three stores now, and she adopted the model. She, she fell right into it. She's she flourished. She's she's. Um, I think I think she's an even better tech now. I mean, she was fantastic when we got her, but I think she's even more well rounded now. Anything that we've ever asked her to do, she's done. And then and and those customers, they still expect to see her when she comes in. And uh, luckily enough, we've all of us that have gone over and you know, been added to that store, we've all been adopted by the community as well. And um, it's, it's really, really, really paid off. Heck, I was in there yesterday and a guy that is not even a patient there came by and brought him a 16 layer chocolate cake. And I, I didn't I didn't know him. I'd never seen him. And I said, what's going on with that? And she says, oh, he just does that. I said, what do you mean he just does that? I said, I've never seen him. He's not. No, he's not a patient here. It's just this community spot where people will come through and talk. And I don't yeah. know the situation why he doesn't fill his meds, but, you know, he brought him a 16 layer chocolate cake. So it's a great place to go work from time to time because you get fed. So here's this pharmacy, uh, another small town. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a bedroom community off of a city that is, you know, it's near Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So that's where a um, really large military base, uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And it's a bedroom community called Hope Mills. Not a ton of people, probably, I'd say there's probably about 10,000 people in Hope Mills, maybe. Um, so, and, uh, and there was no competition there when I bought it. I was the only independent and Hope Mills. That was the reason I well, wanted it. And that, that's exactly where I was going with this is that mm. seems like that's one of the, the demographics that we see often. A uh, smaller town, a pharmacy that's been there for a long time, a lot of roots in the community, um, mm. and an aging uh, owner who's you know starting to think about his options. And one of the options has to be, you know, a three letter coming in or, you know, one of the big box stores uh, and buying those pharmacies out. So when you went to look at this pharmacy, what did what opportunities did you see that, hey, there's an opportunity here? They're not taking advantage of this. Um, you know, what what did you look at in your evaluation that said, I'm comfortable taking this new risk? OK, so so in in that area, there was. There was two, the three big boxes and this one independent and the, the store had consistent, steady um, revenues and, and growth, you know, annually, but they weren't they weren't growth anything like what I was seeing just 15 minutes down the road. And what I my favorite thing that I love to look at is the one of my things that I think I'm best at is, is inventory management and they were one of only two pharmacies in the wholesaler of more than 500 stores that still used this DOS base ordering system. Okay. I didn't even look at the screen. I was like, he's like, let me show you this. And I know you don't even have to turn that on. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not interested, not interested. And 
they they had that old mentality of how you would manage inventory. Now they were they were more advanced than some that I'd seen. Like they knew like things that were really expensive and they needed to wait until certain days to order them. But they they were doing nothing like how I run my inventory. You know, like because he, they had lived through the heyday of high gross margins when cash flow was not as critical to to pay attention to as it is today. And so number one, I saw that. Number two, you could look at the NDCs that they were dispensing just by walking the shelves and you you could recognize that there was a lot of missed opportunities, you know, within the patient population that they had. Uh, they weren't doing any uh, vaccines at all. Uh, they provided no additional services at all, really, for that matter, other than traditional pharmacy dispensing. The front end was like a lot of stores that you see now. You know, there was um, some really nice display cases all around the store that were empty. Uh, and so it just needed some freshening up and, and you know, kind of opening up, make the place feel a little more vibrant. It had not been um, the fixtures had not been updated in quite some time. And. Uh, and so when I when I and when I and that that leads to a little quick story here, we actually got robbed um, at, at gunpoint two months or three months after I bought it. So I'm this wow. new owner, new store. You're talking about, you know, headaches and need problems. So I get I get this phone call. I was I was doing something. Um, I was not in the store that day. I get this phone call. I'm 30 minutes away. I don't know that I've ever driven that fast for that long down the interstate. <laughs> I even ran a red light with a cop behind me and he pulled me over and I threw the door open and said, my pharmacy just got robbed. And he literally said, just go and let me go. And I took off, you know, and uh, so I'm going to use that. Yeah, try it. Try it. <laughs> you know, it, works for you. it worked well for me, but I, I was, I was planning to remodel uh, eventually when, when um, my bank account said that it was a good idea to remodel. But after the way that the old setup was, the guy was just able to walk in. So we went ahead and freshened the entire store up within, like I said, four or five months of buying all new fixtures. Of course, we updated with Pioneer. Uh, they were using uh, DOS-based QS1. And I won't say anything there. I just they were using DOS space QS1. And that was about like that ordering system. Just don't even turn it on. You tech, you just run it. Show me how I need to check until tomorrow because you guys couldn't be there the night of January 1st. So we stayed the next night and the second day of business, I was back in pioneer heaven and I was able to do everything that I needed to do and got the store all fixed up, you know, but uh, they, they were, they were like so many of the stores that you described. I mean, that's very, very, very true that all these baby boomers that are retiring, most of them don't want to sell their stores to three letter. I mean, they, they, or, or to Walgreens or to anybody else. They want to see their legacy. I told you the store was 70 years old. It was opened by, you know, the grand, the, 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 the patriarch of the family there. And now the son had ran it his entire life. You know, those people don't want to see their stores go away. No, it's and, their uh, legacy. It's, it's, exactly. it's their commitment, their, their, you know, their contribution to the community. And so to see that go to, you know, uh, a corporation's unfortunate, right. Um, you know, and that's why I love like uh, NCPA's ownership conference. They talk mm -hmm. a lot about ways to identify and, and get into those relationships. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate that so often it, you know, it, that relationship isn't found in time. Yeah, we actually had um, there was and this is the other thing that I do. Like if you were a pharmacist and you were over the age of 45 and, and within however far of me, and I call your pharmacy to get a transfer, or just talk to you about something, I ask, 
aren't you about ready to sell that store? And I, I mean, I've got leads. I've got leads on pharmacies everywhere because I mean, I'm, that's not a time to be bashful. If you're, if you're going to be, you know, uh, bullish and you want to go get more stores, you got to put the word out there that you want to buy. I mean, I had a situation recently where there was a store that I had made it very obvious that I would like to purchase it. And I got a phone call from a pharmacist looking for PRN work. And I said, no, I thought you were PRN for such and such. Yeah, but they sold to CVS. And I was like, let me call you right back. Hung the phone up, called the owner. And I said, what's going on? And they were like, well, I told such and such to tell you. Why didn't you call me? You know, and yeah. the word was is, well, when you didn't receive, and I went back to that person that they told and they were like, well, I wasn't sure that they wanted me to tell you and blah, blah, blah. You know, you be obvious, be very upfront, be bold about it. If you want more stores and you want to be aggressive, these people don't want to sell. They she put the word out to several owners that she thought might be interested. And when no one came back. She said, well, I don't have a choice. Nobody really wants this store, but she's not the type of person to to be aggressive in approaching you and saying, hey, you should come by my store. You know, so it's on. If you want a, a store, you have to be very obvious, very blunt. Call me. Call me when something happens and you're ready to go. Yeah. So, and I mean, it, it seems like just like what you said, networking and 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 communication and, and having that relationship. Again, independent pharmacy, it's even if you're two independent pharmacies in the same town, you're there, there's this level of collaboration most of the time that you don't oh, see in other sure. industries. So for sure, you know, just keep those lines of communication open for sure. It seems. Um, yeah. You had one across the street from us at one time. I mean, you could throw a rock and hit it. So what would you tell that owner who was going to sell if they have a pharmacy that they've been doing the same thing for a long time? Obviously, if they'd been surviving in that climate, doing things the same way they did 20 years ago, they could do better. Yeah, um, absolutely. They, that, that store could flourish if it survives uh, mm -hmm. with with little water. Uh, just imagine, you know, what what some maintenance could do. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to Indy uh, RX Consulting. So, you know, if that if that owner called you and said, hey, Joe, I'm struggling here, man. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm going to have to sell. I'm you know, something's got to give. No, that's what, uh, I get what, that. Call what are the other options? I had a, even had a broker one time that called me just like this. He says, I've got this pharmacy that's for sale, but the offers aren't where they need to be. And so he says, we're looking for options here of what we can do to try to drive the price up. The owner's not comfortable with it. They don't think they, you know, they want to sell at these prices, but they don't know how much longer they can hold on the way things are. And I was like, well, just, you know, let me have a look at the store. And, um, People don't know what they don't know. Okay. I, I've got to where I say that a lot because, you know, you, you, something that will to you is just common sense. You know, you were talking about your previous career in, in the magazine, you know, something about a car that you just think everybody should know what kind of car that is and how fast it's capable of and all that. A guy that's never seen that car, he might not even know what brand it is. Right. And so it's like that in pharmacy and in business. The, these pharmacists are, are wired for patient care, for being this conscientious individual that loves their patients and does all of these things. And they put their own needs a lot of times on the back burner and the needs of their business. Sometimes they put on the back burner and whether that's because it's not, 
it's not at the forefront of the mind because it's not important to them or because they don't know how to assess those things. A lot of times is what's going on, you know? So I'll, I'll go into a store or I'll take a look at a store and honestly, there's this one story that I tell. I went into a store and I found a half a million dollars one day before lunch. Just and and the way that I found it, I was walking down the counter and I glanced over there. They were, they were Pioneer store and the, the pharmacist was checking a prescription and it was on their loyalty plan. And the acquisition cost of the drug was wrong. And they were using cost-based pricing for their retail plan. And I saw it, and I, and I know that the drug cost a lot, lot, lot more than they were selling it for. And I said, I said how, is, how is that? How are you doing that? Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's our price. So, of course, me, I dive into the system, and I'm doing transaction searches, and I'm looking through everything. And it was drug after drug after drug after drug. And the store was a it was a it was a high performing store, a very high volume store that had a lot of niches. And so they weren't they weren't in the position that so many stores are in, but they had been leaving that much money on the table and didn't even realize it because they just didn't know. It was the environment that they operated in. The cost they didn't look at because they, well, I guess I have to say this. They were a 340B style pharmacy, so that a lot of the numbers were more or less arbitrary to them. But mm-hmm. certain drugs are not applicable to 340B, so I'll kind of leave it at that. But you know, they don't know this because they're not me in a store checking at traditional retail pricing or at you know the the traditional pricing whack mine or whack based pricing that everybody else would be buying at. So they don't know what they're doing wrong there, and. It's a lot of times if you think that you're ready to sell because you're not making the money that you thought you should be making or maybe you're not making enough to to keep your head above water before you call a broker, call a Peter, you know, call call the call that independent owner that's two towns over that does not consider you a direct competitor and say, hey, listen, I want you to come over to my store and just walk around. Just walk around and tell me if anything jumps out at you that I'm missing. Um, you could also call me, you know, but uh, and I'd be happy to help you, too. I mean, that's what I do every day. Um, but I, I'll be honest with you. I, I think that because you don't know what you don't know, it sometimes helps to get another set of eyes on your situation to see if there's some big you know, red flag waving out there that you just think is part of the scenery. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't sell your car because it's making a funny noise, you know. You'd take uh, it to a mechanic. You, you right? wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't sell the fear. You would you would take it to a mechanic. And see, I think um, that we all have this knee jerk now. I mean, especially especially the baby boomers that are retiring and and those you know, and they don't even have to be baby boomers anymore. It's someone who is you know. I hear I'm not interested in clinical services. You know, they're more uh dis- they they care to stick with the traditional dispensing model that so many of us have, have, you know, so many of them have done for so many years. Well, that's, there's still opportunities there. There's still tons of things you can do there. You don't have to throw in the towel because you think pharmacy is getting more clinical than you care to do. You know, there's, you still have a ton of options and you you need to explore those options before you call a, a box or a broker or, you know, whoever, just find out what your options are. 
my next question here, uh, you know, I, I was an installer with Pioneer RX for years, and I, and I got to, to visit a ton of pharmacies all over the country. Mm-hmm. And I've actually visited pharmacies where the, the owner uh, was the PIC, and the pharmacist wouldn't want to take lunch because they had to be at the counter. They, they had so much ownership and, and not enough delegation um, that, you know, they, they were struggling every day at the level of, you know, do I take a lunch? Um, so, you know, I, I see Joe Williams opening a pharmacy, uh, out cutting down branches, uh, doing the, uh, Indy RX consulting, then opening clinic pharmacy, and then later Fairmont. You can't do that by yourself. Um, so is that a solution? Is that part of your success? If, if you're a, a pharmacist who's maybe not comfortable moving into a new direction, with an established pharmacy, maybe the direction is to move into a role of more delegation. So I've experienced exponential growth since I pulled myself off of the bench. There's there's no denying it. Um, we were fortunate. We, we bought Clinic Pharmacy in January. I ended up buying another pharmacy, St. Paul's Drug, in September of the same year. Uh, they were the one that I could throw a rock and hit at Brisson. And um, was really, really fortunate enough to have the pharmacist, the owner, join the store along with um, a couple staff members. Great transition, very smooth. Everything worked out beautifully. And when she came on, it meant that I now had another pharmacist that understood retail space and, and, and could help me. And so it helped me to kind of take a step back. And I recognized immediately how much more opportunities that I could find and take advantage of once I wasn't tied to my bench. Uh, for instance, I have a pharmacist now that uh, is on maternity leave, and it, I've been on the bench since the beginning of October. And the techs probably hate me. I mean, I love them to death, but you know, I'm the pharmacist that's got the stack of baskets that covers the entire <laughs> counter because I'll check a basket. And then I'll go out there and glad hand and, you know, kiss babies, hug ladies and shake hands for as long as I can trying to grow business and get people in the door. Or I'm walking around with my AirPods in trying to put some new thing together for somewhere else, you know. And that's just because that's what I'm best at. You know, I, I mean, I'm a I'm a you know, I think I'm a decent pharmacist, but I'm a I'm a better I'm a better salesman. I'm a better um you know, uh, what's the word? I'm better at relationship building than I am at anything else. That's what's helped the stores, my stores when I'm in them to grow is just because of relationships, whether it was with a patient, a provider, some other secondary stakeholder or another entity of some kind. It's those relationships that have kept adding to the growth. So, you know, me getting off the bench, my staff is happier because uh, the workflow is probably faster (laughs) and more efficient, you know. Um, But two, what I my favorite thing about being off the bench is 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 you. So how can I say this? It's like it's like um, it's like being here, you know, looking at the world and being here and looking at the world. I can suddenly see the big picture and I can see all of the moving parts, you know, whether it's our logistics and how we manage our delivery programs and understanding how the three stores should work in unison or if it is the providers that could um, that would most benefit their patient population most benefit from our programs, whether it's you know open enrollment or strategic partnership. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on and on. But if I'm checking, 
you know, the hundreds of prescriptions a day that I have to check at my stores, I can't clear my mind long enough to do that. And I get up at 445 every day. Now, when I get home at eight o'clock at night, I'm done. You know, I'm ready to wind down and I'm ready to go to bed and then I'll do it all again the next day. But by not having to concentrate so much on the, the bottles in my hand during the day, it allows me to have that time to develop these programs and do these things. And then the NDRX, I told you I'm long-winded. Then the NDRX, uh, you get to help all these stores. And when I'm helping them, I'm also learning. You know, there, there have been stores that they were the best in the country at this one thing inside their store. And so when I'm there to fix the things that they're not good at, I'm able to kind of see and understand and learn how they're doing those other things. This is and this is what I was saying earlier about the peer, the peer thing, you know, having a peer group of pharmacists that you talk with. I think this this podcast is a great example. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to learn from one another because the world's big enough The the world is absolutely big enough. There's plenty of prescriptions that, you know, Walgreens, Walmart, CVS, they're low hanging fruit for you to go get business. You don't have to take it from that independent two counties away. So, you know, I'm in these stores and I'm seeing this thing and I say, you know, that won't work like it is as it is right there. But if I was to do this and carve this and change this and trim that, that could drop into my stores and work beautifully. And uh, so you know, I think having the peer group and exposure to other stores and seeing how other people are doing things, that has probably been the secret to the success. And I couldn't have done those things if I was count porn licking stick all day long and verifying, you know. I think so many pharmacies struggle with that because, you know, if if you have a pharmacy, if you have a business, obviously that's something you're passionate about. Um, you know, those those pharmacies that you've talked about, um, that were rooted in that community for so long, if you're there and you're the owner it's got to be hard to step back and delegate and and you know like they say at pds you can't work uh uh, on your store if you're just working in your store you know to have that bigger view you know how how do you talk yourself into letting go of the reins a little bit you know and and giving somebody else that autonomy to to help your business succeed it it was tough Uh, and it still it still is tough and now what I, the mindset that I have now is, is that my stores are my clients that, that has really helped me. So I take on the role of the consultant for each of my stores and I, I'll go to that store and I will treat that pharmacist like they are the owner operator and I'm consulting for them. I'm, I've, I've, you know, I've some over the years I've developed an eye for issues and problems and I can, you know, show them how to take corrective action and then it's, I told you, in my, even in my own stores, I'll see something that they're doing that I really like that it wasn't my idea and part of my design, but he or she has this way that they like doing it. And I'm like, we're start, we're going to do that at, at the other stores now. That's a great idea. Uh, I've even implemented that into some of my consulting things that I've learned from my staff pharmacist at, other, at some of my stores. So, but when I initially did it, I, uh, I tried, I was hiring staff pharmacist. And they were basically doing a working interview that they didn't know about. I was trying to find the right type of individual to run my stores, people that I could give you know, the reins to. And financially, it really hurt you know, initially. Like That was a, a bad year for me because I absorbed all of this new payroll. And all the uh, pharmacists out there know how this thing works. You, know, you grow, you grow, you grow, you grow, and things start getting good financially. 
oh, then you have to add staffing and you have to add technology and you have to expand into these things. So then it drops way back down. You just have to know that you have to continue to grow and grow to get back up to where you were before. So, and I've gone through several of those where, you know, it kind of the ebb and the flow, you know? And so that was one of the larger ebb and flows when I first hired a pharmacy manager and then I pulled myself off the bench uh, or just worked as more or less relief. And I still worked six days a week, you know, I didn't take any days off for, well, for however long it's been now. And uh, just to try to make sure that everything was going well, but the, so the financial part was hard. Uh, so I, but when I wasn't on the bench, I put a value on my time. I, you know, the business background. So I put a number there and I said, Joe, every hour that you're working, this is how much you're costing yourself to do it. So during that hour, I needed to be making, you know, five times that in either lead generation or new patient acquisition or developing a program that was going to have a stream behind it or it was going to improve the quality of life of my patients or something. I had to put a number on it to make it make sense for me. And so that made me a lot more efficient when I wasn't doing it. And so I quickly realized that I could do more for my business out here in back here or out there in the world than I could at that bench. And like I said before, they're, they're probably better at that than I am because they're not trying to be on the phone growing the program while they're checking the prescription. You sure. Know, they're, they're concentrating on what's in front of them. And that's what I, that's what I want them to do. They, they all, all of them now treat the stores like, like they belong to them, which is great. And you need to empower them to do it. You can't, you, 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 you talk about handing the reins off. And I did this initially where I was working at this clinic. I was working there almost half the time. And so I was making someone else the manager, but I was still managing it and it wasn't yep. fair. And, and, and they, they weren't able to flourish and kind of let the store take on the, a piece of their personality. It was still, and, the, and, and, and she has a strong personality. So it was still like these two forces kind of, you know, hitting each other. And finally I said, all right, all right I'm taking a step back. I'm walking out. I'll be here when you're not. And I'll come back and basically treat you like a client and do this consulting. And then the store started, you know, started <laughs> climbing up. So, yeah. so fast forward a little bit. That all sounds great before uh, a COVID world. Surely nobody would open a pharmacy in 2020. <laughs> well. <laughs> You know, I told you I like a lot of I like a lot, you know, I like a lot going on. So I uh, so here, here's what happened there. Uh, there was a large regional chain called Fred's. They were a discount store that had pharmacies and they had been really, really aggressive in store acquisition in our area. And um, really small, smaller areas all over the country. Right. Yeah, they, they, they did. So did you have them out in Louisiana? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know yeah, we, we, we had one uh, here. I'm in a small town called Benton. And we actually had one here that uh, that okay. just shut down, and and a privately owned neighborhood market moved in, and so there you go. So that's yeah. what I was doing. So there was an opportunity to backfill, and there was at the time there was only one. Um, there was a Walgreens, and then there was a uh, pharmacy inside of an FQHC in in that community. And uh, so I go down, and I tried to buy. I tried to buy the building that the Freds had been in and they couldn't sell. 
because they still had a lease agreement. Fred's or Walgreens was making Fred's maintain the lease agreement for however long. So it was like another year or more. And so I looked and looked and looked and looked and for a building. And it was funny, the building that I called on the guys like, oh, man, I will make you the sweetest deal. <laughs> Three months later, the entire building in the middle of the night collapses onto the street. I swear it was it failed. It completely <laughs> fell off the block into the street. So, so glad I didn't really uh, dig into that one. And I, so I went to, uh, there was a, I guess it had been a gas station at one time. There was a little laundromat on the corner in the same parking lot with the Walgreens. So I went over and I told the guy, I said, Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to buy your laundromat with the, I'd worked for Walgreens. I told you before, when I stepped down, I became a market recruiter and I traveled North Carolina going to independent pharmacies, uh, talking to um, their staff about coming to Walgreens and implementing buyouts and doing all this thing. So I knew how this whole thing worked because I'd done it for a year for Walgreens. I didn't have their pocketbook, but I was in a small rural community and I was going to try to figure out a way to make this work. And the guy just laughed at me and told me, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, right across the street, there was a gas, a um, car wash and a laundromat and a bootlegger. A little bootlegger house. And uh, so I caught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. That's another story for another time. <laughs> and uh, so I, I called the guy that owned it and I said, hey, you know, would you be interested in selling? And I didn't want all of that at the time. I just wanted to build a little community pharmacy right there in the Walgreens parking lot. And then I was going to put this big sign up, I had all these things in mind, really tacky stuff, real offensive that was going to make them <laughs> mad, but bring me patience. And, uh, and he's like, well, yeah, we can talk about it. So we ended up, we ended up working it out. So I bought a laundromat and a pharmacy, I mean, a laundromat, a bootlegger and a car wash within a week, I had torn down the laundromat and the, um, the bootlegger house and started construction and it was slow. It was really, really slow. And because I had torn down the laundromat and I started kind of exploring what else was out there, I decided that I would build a laundromat at the same time. So if you if you look at pictures on social media, of Fairmont Drug Company, there's a Fairmont laundromat is right beside it. And that's ours, too. And so that's actually worked out really well because it brings people to the store and there's kind of a strategy there to incentivize patients. And it works out really well. But yeah. um, and so the funny thing is that a quick story here, the guy that I tried to buy the laundromat from to begin with, he's a very, very nice guy. And I like him a lot. The great family, everything. He came over and he wanted to buy the machines and um, and I, that we had taken out. And I said, sure, you know, you can buy machines. He says, because I'm going to be the only laundromat in town now. And um, I was like, sure, you can sell them. I mean, I'll sell them to you. And I said, but we are going to build another laundromat back. And he just rolls up the window and drives away. And I was like, golly. <laughs> He's a super great guy, though. He really is. Well, I, I, they're a great fan. You know, so they're, it's interesting. I was looking um, – uh, I was doing some research and there's like uh, franchising companies for laundry mats. And, you know, when, when you're looking at that, you're you're looking at a lot of the same demographics and the same uh, community tells as a pharmacy location. Anyways, you're Absolutely. counting rooftops, you're looking at street access. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, if you have something to do while people are doing their laundry, I mean, it, it's a win win, not to mention you're backfilling that need within the community and and providing a, an upgraded services service most laundry mats are a bit dated right for sure yeah uh, we, we we're the only one within i don't know how many miles that has air conditioning 
And, 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 and during the summer, it was the biggest thing. They said, we can't wait to get in there because you have air conditioning. We, you know, we put the TVs up. We did all this stuff. And we do the wash dry or you know, wash dry fold service and delivery service. We do all these things that no one was doing in the area. So I mean it's just like pharmacy. It's there's so many businesses out there right now that people have not updated, they have failed to move forward with where they need to go with their business. And it's just all of it spells opportunity. Whether it's a car wash, a laundromat, a gas station, a grocery store, you know just because the guy before you isn't where he needs to be doesn't mean that with the right amount of imagination, hard work and effort, you can't make it whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Complacency is a, it's a heck of a hurdle for uh, For for a lot of businesses. So um, you decided to build a new building in 2020 across the street from a big box store and add a laundry map. And so I mean, you know, if you really stop, if you think about it from a business standpoint, there's a there's a lot of things that say this is a good idea based on location. <laughs> I mean, you're you're not going to lose. Are you going to lose patients or gain patients being right across the street from a big box store? Oh God, man, they're the best thing in the world. I told you I wanted to be <laughs> in the parking lot with them. No, the, yeah. it, it's gotten it's gotten so bad at several times in my career that chain stores would not give us transfers without speaking to the patient first. What have what have chains ever done that? You know, when I first got to this um, first got to Brisson, we would call and then within three minutes we would get them, and then we kept getting them and kept getting them and kept getting them. Well, I knew some of the management at Walgreens because I had been a manager there, so I I made a phone call or two. I'm like, what's going on? It's like, oh, yeah, man, they got their eye on you. You know, they, you'd call to get transfers and it would be days before you would get them. So then they would have to speak to the patient. So what we ended up doing was is, hey, I need to get some transfers. Well, you know, we're going to have to speak to the patient. Yeah, I know. Here she is. And we just hand the patient the phone right there in front of us. And she'd say, yeah, I want my medicine down here. And they hand them back and I'd go to talk to them again. And they'd already hung the phone up. You know, so. So there. So where are you spending the most time at now? Well, you know, I told you that I had one out of maternity. So I've been up at clinic, um, hired, uh, hired another pharmacist yesterday uh, to, um, to help us out because we do have somebody that's going to be um, uh, moving on to the next step of their career. And um, we are in the process of hiring yet another one. Uh, 2020 has been rough. 2021 is full of opportunity. So, and, 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 in so many ways that it's not even funny. I don't, I'm not going to talk politics, but we know with changes and transitions of, of, of the office at the top, there's going to be some changes in healthcare and how money is spent in certain programs. And I, that's going to lead to a lot of opportunity. We have COVID. Uh, so testing is still strong. The vaccine is going to be coming along. There's going to be ways there that we can, um, you know, be a part of that. And clinical services are only going to grow. There's only going to be more and more of those. So what we're looking for now, the pharmacists that we're interviewing and talking with are more clinically minded. And so through the relationships that we have with some of these external stakeholders, um, Troy Medicare, um, some of the local hospital systems, uh, we know that there's going to be ways for us to continue to, to stretch and expand and you need to be prepared for that. So this is another one of those places where the, where the, it's going to rise and it's going to, you know, ebb and flow and we're going to drop back just a little bit. Um, but it's going to be short lived. 
we and I can't expect these people that I'm hiring to to execute and achieve some of the goals that I set forth if they're so tied down at verifying prescriptions themselves. They're going to need time to set aside to focus on these things. They're going to need to go to classes and learn and spend time with some of the peers that I have to make sure that um, that we're ready and we can execute like we need to. Yeah, 2020 was really a uh, beat up on air conditioned laundry mat of a year. So <laughs> I think I think 2021 is going to be you know that that new building. Hopefully, it's yeah. definitely an exciting time in pharmacy. Again, if you look back, you know immunizations didn't happen in in 1994. You know, right. and then now here we are, where there's so much opportunity with Project Warp Speed, with healthcare looking for new ways to become efficient, for looking for new tools. Um, you know, there's there's so much opportunity out there for those who aren't complacent. So I'm going to toss it to you and let us close this out. Uh, give us your closing thoughts. Give us some hope for 2021. Well, I'll tell you right now, it's a buyer's market. It really is a buyer's market. If you're if you're out there and and you're aggressive and you're willing to keep an open mind, if you can move past the traditional model, use your imagination, go out, learn from others. You know, don't be afraid to call the guy. One of the ways I got started was I started calling stores in Oregon and Washington and Arizona because they wouldn't know who I was and they wouldn't care if I learned something from the conversation. I was afraid to call people close by because I thought they wouldn't share anything with me. Heck, I have people now in my same county that come into my pharmacy and I show them how I'm doing things, you know, because the world is big enough for all of us. So go out, learn things, be aggressive find new ways of doing things. The bottom line is important. Don't ever forget about it. But when you put the patient first and you do right by them, it grows your bottom line faster than any other thing you can do. That's pretty much where I'm at, Will. Awesome, man. Well, I'm going to go out today. The rest of my, uh, the rest of my day, my batteries are going to be charged. So <laughs> always a blast talking to you, Joe. Thanks so much for carving out some time for us between all of your other endeavors. And uh, can't wait to catch up again soon, man. Sure, brother. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform.